This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a Media Week TV podcast. Welcome, Andrew Mercado. It seems ages. Hi, James. It has been forever, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, but you've been travelling and uh, look, so yeah. busy and stuff, it's hard to kind of match up. Yeah, we've both got a bit going on, haven't we? Sort of our day jobs take over and... Um you know, you're running the busy Southwest Roxy. I'm uh, doing my best at Media Week, pedalling hard. And um, our schedule hasn't been stuck to um, as rigorously as we would like, but I'll try and get us back on track for the next few weeks and we'll see how we go. There's certainly been plenty happening in the TV space these last couple of weeks. And um, we should probably start there and talk about the phenomenal success of Australian Ninja Warrior. Um, I, you know, nobody really saw this coming, although I do note the Daily Telegraph did call it a hit series on page one on Saturday, so they certainly had the good oil on what might happen, mm-hmm. And uh, but the ratings certainly took off on um, Sunday night. Did you spend much time with it? Um, I was in a pub on Sunday night when it was playing, mm-hmm. and I was looking up uh, above it and thinking, wow, um, but, you know, when you think about it, the ratings actually aren't all that surprising. I always thought it was going to do well, but I don't think any of us realised how well it was going to do. No. Because when you think about it, um, it's, been a, it's been a while since uh, we've had a show like this. And I said from day one that if the kids got on board with this format, it would be a huge hit. And that is what's happened. Because this is kind of this generation's gladiator, and before that, it was It's a Knockout. And these type of family-friendly shows where mum and dad and all the kids get into it and watch it, you know, it's it's something that used to happen in TV all the time but is now the rarity, the reality show that everybody can watch together. And uh, But I think the fact that it's actually held such phenomenal ratings figures three nights in a row, to me, the big, big thing about this is, you know how much I go off my brain about the fact that we start the ratings year and literally a few weeks later, they're breaking for Eastern non-ratings period. Yes. And it makes, it does my head in. And, and I really think that launching this show in the middle of the June, July school holidays, when families actually had the time to sit down and watch TV together and look at the result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is pretty incredible. I mean, and we we do have short memories, though, I guess. I mean, it's not totally unheard of this this show, this sort of success. Even this year, my kitchen rules had a number of one point sixes, one point fours, and of course, they had a lot more episodes. So, but but I think this is special yeah. because it's. Because it's something different, isn't it? It's not your standard reality fair. It's a competitive thing. It's much more uh, em- embraces maybe yep. a wider demos, and it's exciting because it could lead to um, to new things. And it's always good to see a, a program that really can have the uh, have the ability to lift the uh, the platform right across. Because other networks will be looking at this and think, well, what does that mean for our schedule? What might we be able to introduce now that might attract similar audiences? Exactly right. And, you know, um, you just have to look at history to know that Gladiators had huge ratings like this back in the day too. You have to look at some of these formats on TV that haven't been around for a while that you can bring back and supercharge them and uh, possibly uh, get the same sort of result. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't I don't know it? how many of those are actually out there, but you know, yeah. that, that, there is a there is a lesson in this. Yeah, it's interesting that nine took and they've talked about the risk involved. It would have been a considerable spend because they, you, you look at the production values and they're yep. pretty good, aren't they? I mean, the the um, obstacle course looks pretty amazing. It's well lit. It's in a dramatic spot there on I think they use Cockatoo Island. Um, in the middle of Sydney Harbour yep. there. And to schedule it three nights a week, they could have gone to the option of just going, you know, maybe Sunday night over those nine weeks. They thought, no, we'll see how, we'll, how it will go being stripped. Look, I was surprised that Nine decided to strip it three nights a week. I actually thought that's where they might come undone. Uh, so well done for them for being brave. But I do think that the school holidays has really helped them with this because families have been out of their regular routine. Kids have been allowed to stay up later. And uh, I think that's really helped keep those ratings so strong. But for that to be so huge, three nights running and not lose any viewers, wow, what a great result. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It, it creates a few more secondary problems for Nine, if you like. I mean, they look at this and go, gee, what can we possibly do next year with it? <laughs> um, look, the, the numbers... You know, you'd think they might hold somewhere around there for the rest of the season, but I guess anything could happen. Although the semi-finals and the, then the final should generate some extra interest. I think the obstacle course changes. It's amazing because not a lot happens each time someone, you know, attempts that course. And to sit with it over that long a time for three successive nights mean, means people are really invested in this. But when Nine looks at what they're going to do next year, they'll think, gee, should we keep stripping it? And how far could we push it out? I think I think the first season of My Kitchen Rules was something like nine or ten episodes, and they've gone out to over 40, um, you know, 39, yeah. 40, 42, something like that. I don't think nine would do that, but you could at least expect maybe, you know, them to double the uh, number of episodes, I think. Yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. And imagine if you were to, yeah, it's look, it just is, it's so great that they've got another strong reality format to go with. It yeah. really is. Yeah, for sure. Um, while the other networks have no doubt grumbling because it's really impacted on them, um, the three nights Ninja Warrior has been on, the upside for them is they go, well, well, if we can find a show, you know, there's still these massive audiences out there. They've been trying to, you know, changing their schedules to sort of throw different things up against it. Uh, seven have delayed, I think, little big shots from... Um, from wow. second Sunday, so they're going to put that on hold. I think that's probably a good move. Look, from just looking at the trailers for Little Big Shots, I wasn't that excited about it as a primetime um, Sunday night offering. And I've got to say, it would absolutely split the audience. That is a show going after. That is another family-friendly show that everyone in the family could kind of sit down and watch together. And if they're already watching the first week of Australian Ninja Warrior, they're not going to stop and sample a new show on Channel 7. I think although it's going to make them look like they've blinked, I think they needed to and move that away where it's uh, going to have some space to, you know, premiere in a less competitive environment. Yeah, look... Uh programming sort of focusing on kids and targeting kids and families hasn't been terribly successful you think of um australian spelling bee never really set the world on yeah, fire correct and similarly um junior master chef started with a bit of blaze of um some good figures that dropped off pretty quickly and i don't think it ever came back for a second season 
And if you remember that new version of Young Talent Time taped as well. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Um, Ten gave that a spin a few years ago. Um, the on the third night of Ninja Warrior, Seven uh, moved behave. What is it? Behave yourself yeah. into the slot. Didn't launch very well last week. It didn't do really great last night. Look, I've tried to watch a bit of that, but it just doesn't do it for me. I'm afraid that show. Have you spent much time with it? I watched the first episode from beginning to end and didn't laugh once, James. Not once. Mm. It's a really weak format. Um, it's the, to me, it just felt like the same old, same old thing, but with less laughs. The same predictable celebrities. Darren McMullen, who seems to be hosting one flop after another, basically, <laughs> after walking away from The Voice. Um, absolutely full of himself, but doesn't have the product to back himself up. Yeah, look, it, it, it sort of disappointed me. I think that would have been much better just going with some something a bit more topical, you know. It's just, I, I get what they're trying to do and you know, bring out some and surprise you with some facts and a little bit of research about everyday stuff, but just doesn't do it for me. Look, I'm, I talk, talked last time, I spent a bit of time in uh, the UK last month and there's just so many panel shows on late evenings, but they're, most of them are, are pretty topical and they're based around gags, based around the news, current events. And I think that's a much um, much better hunting ground for programs than just more generic sort of stuff. It, it just doesn't seem to work yeah. that well with audiences. Yeah, and, and I actually think we've got a, quite a limited number here in Australia of really clever comedians that can do those types of shows. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people on Twitter were sort of saying that Seven were trying to do Have You Been Paying Attention and it wasn't working, you know, and uh, I kind of agree with that. To me, it, it did feel like... And, but Seven do this sort of thing all the time. Seven's littered with panel shows like this that haven't worked over the years. They always give it a good shot, but they never quite seem to nail it. Yeah, no, they have had a few, and it'd be a pretty long list, I guess, wouldn't it, if you trolled through some of the... Um the experiments they've gone for. I guess the good thing is they just they keep on trying. You know they um, they, they, yeah. they go with stuff. Well, when you're number one, you can do that, can't you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. Another show that was put up against towards the end of um, Ninja Warrior episode three last night was the second episode of Yummy Mummy. Well, actually, it was the third episode. I think we got the first two on Sunday night, and it would have probably been episode three. Now, you've been pretty harsh on this program, as have a few other people, but I actually sat down and watched that first episode, and I think... Um, I'll put my hand up in its favour. I thought it was well made. I thought they'd found some good characters, the pregnant women, but I've got to agree that really the storyline they were pursuing was really um, just wasn't compelling at all. No, I mean, it was... Uh, and I think the, the funniest thing of TV tonight's review of it was when he gave it half a star out of five. <laughs> he gave it half a star out of five for the production values because the, the crew had obviously worked hard on making it look good. Sure. I just found the concept that, you know, that a woman in Adelaide would be, would find, approach three total strangers on Instagram <laughs> and invite them to her baby shower mm. in Adelaide. It was ridiculous. And then you see those three yummy mummies from Melbourne coming over who have an Instagram account walking through Adelaide Airport that looked empty. I was actually watching it and watching what people were saying on Twitter and everyone was like going, hello, who, when, did, when is Adelaide Airport ever empty like that? So there wasn't one single aspect of that show that was ringing true. 
and it just felt so forced. And I'm not even convinced that those young mums from Melbourne are actually friends. I think the whole thing is a giant con, <laughs> throwing people together, finding four pregnant women, and then creating a storyline around them that is just completely unbelievable. But I understand why they did it, James. I mean, that's basically how they make the real housewives, isn't it? Sure, yeah, yeah. But at least the storylines are a bit more, um, I mean, attractive, aren't they? They sort of get you in and, um, you know, just that whole Adelaide thing and the, the, the place where they're having the baby shower seem miles out of town. It was just, yes. The whole thing just seems so, I don't know. I mean, you, none of those shows you really, you know, you, 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 you invest in them because of the, it's showing you real life and you, you like looking at them because it's some sort of escape or some amazing stuff but it was just so far-fetched as just to think just completely implausible I thought. But nothing has made me laugh harder on television this year than the mother that grandmother who was dressed in yellow mm. and they, her and her daughter were looking at pictures on Instagram because the whole show was about getting inspiration and making friends off Instagram. It mm. should have been called Instagram. Yeah. And they're looking at ideas for baby showers and one of the themes was yellow and the, the grandmother dressed in a yellow dress said, oh, you can't have a yellow theme party. Everyone would look like chooks. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you're wearing a yellow dress. And, like, it passed unnoticed. You know, I would have thought that would have been exactly a moment that you would have said to those actors, um, hello, somebody needs to mention the fact that you're actually wearing a yellow dress and talking about being a chook. But they didn't. They just – it just slid past. I fell off the couch laughing at that. Like, it was – it was just not a very clever or well-made show for me. Yeah. Look, another program that um, launched last week and didn't perform perhaps as well as uh, the network would have liked, and, uh, and I think you um, you shared, you, you, I think you were looking forward to it, but tell us what you thought of Common Sense. Oh, I didn't like it, James. I was so disappointed. Mm. I, I don't like the casting. I feel like they, they, they were looking for deliberately outrageous people this time around. And those two guys in the back of the removal truck having a conversation about how you shouldn't uh, use handkerchiefs because that means snot's going around your washing machine. I was like, excuse me? And I, I really found the workplace. Look, on paper, it sounded amazing. Mm. When I read it, um, I was so excited to sit down and watch it. I thought this is going to be great. But there was something about it that felt terribly, terribly forced. It didn't feel natural. The way that Gogglebox has people sitting on the couch watching TV and chatting amongst themselves and getting up every now and then to get a drink. I found this workplace setting of the guys having all their conversation in the back of their removal truck and the, the Chinese uh, fruit and veg people, all four of them standing around peeling beans together at the same time. <laughs> it just wasn't ringing true for me. And to me, that show has to um, survive because you're, you're going to find it believable that these are regular people saying what they think but if you can't believe the situation that they're in what they're saying isn't going to ring true 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that for, for most of what you said there. There, those um those workplace environments just looked like something from Central Casting almost, didn't they? The um and the, the guys yeah. in the, the real estate office and you know the, the te- oh they were terrible. <laughs> and you, you just they're humour. That the mm. jokes they were cracking, it wasn't funny. I know, I know. And the bloke ringing him up asking if he wants a coffee and the most just oh. oh. But you know what was working, James? The one that was working was the one that was most like Gogglebox. The one that was working was those three old people sitting in their retirement home, sitting on a couch having a cup of tea. That Mm. worked. Mm. That's what it should have been. The show should have been called, um, you know, Kitchens. They should have just, instead of Gogglebox in the lounge room, sorry, my dog barks at nothing, (laughs) um, instead of it being Gogglebox of people sitting in their lounge rooms, they should have made it people sitting at the kitchen bar having breakfast or something because the workplace environment feels fake. Yeah, and what about the butchers too? Gee whiz. <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, when he was standing there and they were looking at the paper and, yeah, and the two guys in the back of that truck, there wasn't much removal work going on, was there? They were just sort of... No, and the, no. And you didn't sort of warm really to many of those characters. You didn't really um, care what they were saying about any of the subjects. That's what that's what got me and that was sort of, you know, as they struggled to sort of find um, something to say about them almost, didn't they? I will really struggle to watch it for a second time. I will. I'll give it another shot. I always, if there's a show that I really want to like and I don't like the first episode, I will watch the second episode to see if it starts to warm on me. But I don't think it's going to become one of my favourite shows. I would rather watch the next episode of Yummy Mummies, to tell you the truth, because at least I could sit there and hate watch it (laughs) and think of smart, snarky things to say on Twitter. But common sense, it it just really, really disappointed me. Yeah, look, we spoke to David McDonald, the um, um, Endemol Shine uh, executive producer who looked after uh, Gogglebox, of course, and be interesting to see where he goes with this because he's obviously a talented guy for the what he's done on Gogglebox, and they'll be well aware of the um, the problems um, that with some of the problems we've identified with that first episode. Be interesting to see where they go to because they do have the chance to fix it because they film it all pretty much within the week before it goes to air. So they'll that's very true. They'll have plenty of feedback from social media and you know and their own Instagram and the network about what could be done to improve it. So we might see some sort of change over the next few weeks, which could be interesting to check, uh, to, to track, and I'm sure we will. That's um, a very good point, yes. Yeah, now, mate, you watch a little bit of daytime TV. I know you tune in and out of Studio 10 and the other offerings in the morning. Um, Studio 10 getting an extra hour. It's uh, coming at an interesting time, has it, when there's, the channel's under some financial pressure, and I guess this extra hour would be pretty cost-effective for them. Yeah, it will. I mean, all they do at 11am when Studio 10 finishes is, is go to the talk, which is an American daytime show and not a particularly good one. Um, and so they're going to keep going through to noon when basically 7 and... Look, 7 and 9 are already going till 11.30 with their shows anyway, mm-hmm. um, and then they switch to their morning news at 11.30 a.m. So Studio 10 are going to go through to 12 noon. Um, more power to them. But I tell you what, I love Studio 10. I've always said that. I've, I've a, you know, disclosure here, I've appeared on the show as a fifth panellist. I love doing bits and pieces for them. I just think it's a really fun show that is prepared to 
step outside of the box and try something different and sometimes it fails and that doesn't matter that it becomes comedy anyway um but i really think that um one day someone should say let's start studio 10 a little bit earlier than 8 30 a.m and actually try and eat into today and sunrise because you know today and sunrise kind of those shows are both so similar my problem with the channel seven and nine breakfast shows and morning shows is that they're interchangeable. Mm. You've got the male host, the female host, the sports person, the weather person. It's just the same, same thing. You can switch back and forth between the two of them, and they're doing identical segments at identical times. Whereas whenever you go to Studio 10, they're doing something that is unpredictable. And I think that given Channel 10 have tried and failed with two breakfast shows what i'd be doing is uh for i'd be actually starting studio 10 earlier and trying to go head to head with those breakfast shows and but i understand why they don't want to do that because the ratings for studio 10 um show that when sunrise and today finish there is a turnover factor to Studio 10 that happens around 9 o'clock, 9.15 when they move into their new morning formats. Because if you watch Studio 10, they start off at 8.30 a.m. with very generic uh, type discussions, but they save the big news stories of the day till 9.30 because that's their peak viewing time. Okay. So if you were going to go earlier with Studio 10 in the morning, you'd then have to say to yourself, oh, God, what do we do now? Do we do that really heavy-hitting, important stuff at 7.30 a.m.? Or do we, you know what I mean? It would really mess up the flow of things. Yeah. A little bit like uh, the project saves its big stories and its big guests for after 7 p.m., which they get a significant lift after the 7 and 9, 6 p.m. news hour was um, finished. Correct, yeah. We spoke to Rob McKnight the other day about the changes and and he's able to reel off some quite significant uh, audience increases, but even as he pointed out, some of those numbers are coming off a pretty low base, so the percentage increase sounds a bit more dramatic than it maybe is. But nevertheless, there has been a bit of audience growth. But but tell me this, I'll put this to you. You talked about Studio 10 starting early. Now, they've got a big team there. Could they split that? Could they split those hosts and maybe have a couple do like a breakfast studio or something? And let's say start at 7. Why not? And then, you know, they either all come on together at 8.30 or whatever, or they the other hosts take over. I mean, you could probably do that reasonably cost-effective. You could stagger it. Yeah, Yeah. you could stagger. You've got a panel of five people there, Mm. and you could stagger that through the morning. If you, if you, You could run the thing all morning on the same set and have one group of people there for breakfast and some go and then others come in and replace them as the as the day draws on and you, you could it could be a really that they've got a great little format there that i think is open to a lot more change and a lot more breaking the mold than seven and nine would ever dare to do Sure, sure. I'm thinking maybe, you know, you've got two. Who who could do the breakfast? Would it be maybe from Joe Hill, Rebrand, Sarah Harris and Jessica Rowe? Be a pretty powerful um, breakfast team, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, it sure would. Mm. And then you let um, Denise and Ita, that might prefer to sleep in, you yeah. let them sort of come in um, a little bit later in the day. Yeah, may- then maybe the breakfast hosts take turns of staying with them on different days or, or however you work it, or they yeah. just, just stay on together. You could probably get away with a 7 o'clock start maybe because I'm not sure how big those breakfast audiences are until you get into that 6 to 7 hour and they certainly take off after uh, 7 a.m. each day. Yes, seriously, who gets out of bed at 5.30am in the morning to watch Sunrise in today? Like, you know, it's like, like I, I'm sure, what's their peak viewing time? It's between 7 and 7.30, isn't it? That's when they seem to have their important stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 7 to 8 o'clock. Sure, sure. Look, we're getting to, we'll stay with Channel 10, we're getting towards the end of our MasterChef. I think finals week is uh, about to be honest. The um, numbers have been knocked around a little bit recently by um, by uh, Ninja Warrior, of course. It just doesn't quite seem the buzz about uh, MasterChef this year as there has been in previous years. But I think we'll probably see some pretty good numbers in its uh, finals week. But um, something I've noticed as... as uh, MasterChef gets near the end of its run. The promos for the uh, Bachelor uh, start uh, start getting a little bit heavier, and <laughs> yeah. um, and you're very interested also in the Bachelorette this year, aren't you, Andrew? Well, I did notice in the Sunday Telegraph last week they covered the making of the Bachelorette promo because that's what passes for news these days. <laughs> but look, I did have to um my eyebrows were raised at a comment from sophie monk as she was filming this promo in double bay because she actually said um this is not a reality show it's real life now look sophie monk is either the greatest satirist in this country or she's a complete dill <laughs> who is honestly going to believe that she's filming the bachelorette this is not a reality show, it's real life. Give me a break. Sophie does have a very good sense of humour, so I'm assuming she's taking a bit of a laugh here. But, like, you know, the entire concept that she hasn't been able to find true love her entire life and yet she's going to find it while making The Bachelorette. I mean, I guess if you want to live your life in the glare of a television camera, this is what passes for real life for you, but, you know... Can we not pretend that The Bachelorette is real life? Can we not pretend that it's less of a reality show than every other reality show? <laughs> Come on, the whole thing is staged from beginning to end. Those potential suitors of her are being told what to wear. They're being told what to say. They're having their, you know, fabulous exotic dates worked out for them, down to mm. plan to the nth degree. Come on. Yeah, and I dare say all that sort of artificiality around it makes true love even uh, less remote for uh, any of those sort of forced TV couplings. Yeah, I mean, she, she, she's got 15 gents vying for her attention. You know, more than half those gents um, are vying for her attention because they want to be famous. Sure, sure. Um, interesting story on uh, TV tonight this week. They spoke with Marshall Held about how SBS manages to get its hands on so much sort of um, good drama at the moment. Um, Handmaid's Tale, of course, is sort of leading the field there. It's um, 
been touted as one of the shows of the years globally, and uh, SBS secured it here locally. They whacked it all up on uh, SBS On Demand, and you can get all the shows straight away. You haven't got to sit around and wait for it week by week. I think they'll put it on free-to-air eventually, but it's um, something the free-to-air networks can't really do because of their business model. But he explained how they did it, and he was sort of talking about how SBS is prepared to go and invest at script stage in the very early stages of a program where they might get a sense of how it could go on the network and they can um, sign up then whereas other networks really need to hold back on their spend to see how a program might rate when it first appears overseas or maybe get more details of the cast or at least maybe see a first episode whereas SBS is a little bit less uh, reliant on the ratings performance here. That was really interesting that article and um, I also as per your advice because you told me how great The Handmaid's Tale was yeah. and so I watched it and, and I just uh, finished it last night um, it absolutely stopped everything in my household for the last four nights we did two episodes you know two yeah. three episodes a night it, it would be close to be running the best drama of the year for me so far absolutely incredible production and I'm telling everyone I know you've got to watch it um, and yeah I think SBS on demand is really punching above its weight at the moment with their drama offerings yeah, yeah it is it is quite um, it's quite a heavy watch though at times isn't it um, you know, as I sort of alluded to, and it's sort of, you can find it hard going and it's and it can be a little bit depressing. How did you deal with all that? Yeah, look, at yeah, it really, The Handmaid's Tale is certainly uh, an upsetting experience. It, it, it made me angry. It really upset me. And, of course, it um, it ends and you know that there's gonna, it's not going to be tied up into a neat bow and that there's another series coming and I can't wait for that. But, mm. you know, it was amazing how they did find something in that last episode for you to make you cheer and think there is hope. Okay. It's, it's the most depressing concept imaginable and it's so horrible the way that women in particular are treated in this sort of vision of the future. It, I, I found it very, very disturbing to watch, but so brilliant. Elizabeth Moss was so great in the title role. All the cast were amazing and uh, it, it was filmed so beautifully and, oh, my God, it was amazing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out. I don't know if SBS will ever reveal sort of the, the numbers they're doing on their on-demand platform, but I'm sure it's uh, doing pretty good business. At, at least they maybe, if they don't want to say the numbers, at least give us an idea of how it's done compared to maybe some of the other... Um, other some of the other content they've put on on demand so i might sort of follow that up and try and get some information on that for the next podcast well they've always got all that great nordic drama don't mm. they they've got a lot of the scandy Midnight Sun, and I think i've watched that, you know yeah. yeah i've watched all of that there and, and reading that tv tonight article it got me really excited there's one coming a scandinavian noir thriller shot in thailand called farang i thought whoa that's going to be top of my list to watch yes yes now you've also been binging on a couple of other things now tell us a little bit about friends from college yeah um i get the previews to watch the netflix series and sometimes I watch, you know, the first episode and go, okay, great, and I can write a review on that. But Friends from College, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know who was in it. I just thought, oh, okay, let me just put this on, and I found it really... Went 
to college together and now it's 20 years later and they're all sort of still around New York and they're kind of each other's lives but the kind of event that's kind of running through the show to provide it with its drama is that uh, two of them are having this secret love affair and it's been going on since college and even though both of them now have other partners, they can't seem to break off this affair that they've been having, you know, most of their adult lives. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's very, very funny and you've got uh, Fred Savage in there from The Wonder Years and uh, Kobe Smulders from How I Met your mother and other actors that you would recognize but it's smart it's funny it's not like um a broadcast network sitcom it's a little bit rude uh but it's i found it really really funny and easy to watch their half hour episodes and i just gobbled the whole thing up um over a few nights it's uh i think it's gonna be a huge hit for netflix friends from college and i think they start streaming it on uh 15th of july and it's i thought it was an absolute ripper yeah, okay, I'll be sure to check that out. That That's good. Yeah, it makes it a little bit easier to binge on those uh, slightly shorter episodes, doesn't it? And there's so much drama around at the moment. Yeah. Something that is actually funny and is doing sight gags and and a little bit blue and you know fast fast you know sort of new york snappy comedy i just found it really really easy and fun to watch yeah look another 30 minute show which is recently new to the netflix platform is glow a story about the glorious ladies of wrestling and a tv series they they try and create around this um team of women they recruit Uh, i've watched a couple of them have you seen any of that yet No, you know what, James, a lot of people are talking about this. A lot of people are liking this um, and telling me to watch it. And and I keep saying to all of them, I can't think of anything I want to watch less. I've got no interest in women's wrestling. And I've just, you know, I've always got too much TV to watch. And I just keep saying to them, I I don't really want to watch it. But, gee, it's got its fans. Well, I know it has. That's what got me into it, some of the glowing reviews I'd read. But I've got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed, you know. It was, look, it was very low budget. And and that gave it a bit of a nice indie feel. But, gee whiz, not much happens in in a lot of those early episodes. I skipped forward to watch a couple of something near the end. And, look, yeah, look, it, 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 it... does have a nice ending and it might be worth staying with it but but it's not you know the i don't know i just just didn't get me in it's interesting though mark maron the um guy who's famous for his podcasting these days plays um a central character and he's sort of the promoter that gets all the girls together he does a really good job people might remember him from he did a guest appearance in a few episodes of our roadies uh, which was on Stan oh, a couple of years ago. He was a you loved that show, didn't you? Yeah, I was a big fan. And I only realised today when I was just double-checking mm. on him that he also had a role in Almost Famous, uh, another Cameron Crowe project, one of my most favourite favorite movies ever. He played the angry promoter in that, so it's, it's given me another reason to go back and watch Almost Famous again and uh, make sure I take a bit more notice of his role in that. But, yeah, Glow, look... Uh, Look, not not so sure on, on that one. Um, something I did like, and again, this has gone against, I'm going against the uh, trend here, was Gypsy, the Naomi Watts series, which is um, up on Netflix as well. She plays a, um, 
a um, what do you call it? A, a, a therapist, if you like, called uh, Jean Holloway, yep. who um, and she's married in the series to Billy Crudup. And again, there's another uh, almost famous connection here. He another was, almost famous. Yeah, he yeah. was the troubled rock star Russell Hammond um, in Almost Famous. But they're a married couple. But uh, Naomi sort of starts falling for one of the uh, people she sees her patients. Uh, very unprofessional for her. Um, and that's just how that unfolves. Now, a lot of people have been giving this a bit of a hard time. I, I've been quite into it. I've, I, I get it how some people think maybe Naomi Watts is, is not, I don't know, is not great in it and that her role is just not uh, not, not deep enough and, and not explained well enough. But I quite like it. It's a bit of a light watch. But it's just, you know, look, I haven't got too far into it. I'm about three episodes in, but I'm finding it uh, pretty enjoyable. Look, we watched the first episode and both liked it, mm-hmm. just have never had time to go back and watch the next one. But it's there uh, sitting for us waiting to watch and I'm definitely going to go back and keep doing it because it was an interesting concept that she as a therapist getting uh, insights into her clients' lives <laughs> was then using that information to go behind their back, investigate their backstory find out things about the person, then go back and deliver them that information firsthand that made her look like a better therapist. I mean, it was like, whoa, woman, you've got no ethics whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's pretty uh, weird, isn't it? Um, the, uh, it was interesting to see on the sort of Rotten Tomatoes score, they sort of track both um, sort of... Um, critics votings and then the general audience and on um, their score for Gypsy was that um, I think it was about 25% of critics were sort of giving it a thumbs up but it had a pretty high score when it comes to the uh, audience around about the 85% so at least um, wow. I'm shared um, by some of them and, and I think well it's actually her she gets a it's not actually someone it's not a patient she gets a fascination with, is it? I think it's the ex-girlfriend of one of her patients she, she um, gets Correct. a fascination with. And she finds out a lot of interesting stuff about her um, girlfriend or potential girlfriend um, from that uh, patient. But it's, yeah, yeah. you can yeah. just imagine where the series could go. So um, I certainly want Very to follow, twisted. follow up and see what happens. But it made me wonder, and I, I threw this out to you the other day, a show on the Netflix platform seems to get a bit of buzz easier maybe than shows that aren't on Netflix in that the next Netflix is still quite a you know a groovy trendy place to get your program whereas you know if you're on Stan you people don't make an allowance because you're on Stan or if you're on 9 10 or 7 but I think Netflix you might get a few brownie points from being in that environment what do you think I think so. I, I've never ever been able to explain the Netflix phenomenon that they did absolutely no uh, promotion or advertising and somehow they made themselves this incredible streaming company in the US that kids in Australia wanted to be a part of. I mean, before they launched here in Australia, everybody knew what Netflix was. It's, it's absolutely incredible to think that that was all achieved by them basically doing nothing but making a couple of shows that suddenly seem to work. Yeah, it's like the byword for streaming Netflix. It's You can use Netflix when you talk about streaming. You can just say, oh, is it, is it, is it on Netflix? And it's sort of um, shorthand for saying, yeah. oh, is, it on, is it on streaming in general, isn't it? That's how much they yes. sort of dominate that space. 
Yeah, I mean, Foxtel would have killed to have, you know, had that sort of marketability. You know, when you know they always used to get so upset that people used the word pay TV. Yeah, you know, they wanted people to say Foxtel, but people were saying pay TV, and they were saying, no, 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 we're subscription TV, we're cable TV. Um, and then Netflix just comes along and uh, becomes this really cool brand. I agree with you. It's, it, it's uh, amazing how they've been able to do that. And it kind of happened by accident. I don't know that they really did anything. It was just one of those things that somehow seemed to, you know, magically happen. Yeah. A couple other things that have, uh, I've noticed this week was that um, the ABC released those uh, content spend figures after, a, I think, a question from a senator, and they provided, I think, four years' worth of data that showed their sort of spend on content declining, which isn't a real surprise, I guess, when you think their their budget allocations have been under a bit of pressure too and they've, they've been able to yeah. spend less. So there's no real surprise there, but uh, let's hope that sort of um, the noise that's sort of surrounding all this reinforces to politicians the importance of maybe maintaining that ABC budget so they continue to spend on dramas and comedies and investing in Australian talent to, to put on the radio, to put on the television. And the truth is that I must admit that I haven't really noticed that the content has gone down. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they're making uh, probably more panel shows and cheaper shows than they used to, but they're still right up there in terms of the drama that they do and the, and the comedy that they do um, when so many of the free-to-air networks don't do Australian comedy. I still think the ABC's punching above their weight in that department with the, the smaller budgets that they have. Yeah, but maybe with a, a, some of those um, series, a, a shorter runs, aren't they? That that new, um, a new, yes, few they new things are. have just been six episodes. I think they're, they're down to now almost when they uh, commission a, a, a new series. Yeah, in fact, I've been watching Janet King and every week I think, well, this has got to be the end because it's six episodes, but it ha- it's obviously not six episodes because the last one hasn't until this Thursday. I would suggest that maybe it's gone for eight weeks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was either six or eight, Janet King. I can't remember, but it was. Um, it, it didn't go for. It didn't go for that long. Hope yeah, you, hope yeah. you haven't got an intruder in the background there. I can hear you. No, but this your pup making this a bit is of what a noise. happens. This is what happens when you live in the bush, though, James. <laughs> you know, a kangaroo uh, is going past somewhere in the bush, and I can't hear it, and I certainly can't smell it, but my dog can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good, good watchdog. Um, look, what else um, have you been uh, taking notice of in the past few days? Anything you've sort of got your eye on coming up on screen or surrounding well, the uh, television space? Yes, next week is going to be huge in TV, James, um, because next Monday, July the 17th, is uh, Game of Thrones, which will be, you know, expressed from the US on showcase at 11am with an 8.30pm release. you know, encore on uh-huh. showcase. Of, of course, we know that's going to be huge, but I think it's very, very clever that BBC First aren't trying to go up against it. Um, and I would advise anybody who's <laughs> thinking of watching Game of Thrones on Monday night at eight thirty, when it finishes at nine thirty, showcase are going to simulcast the BBC First drama, which is starting at nine thirty, called Taboo, which okay. is a Ridley Scott production in conjunction with Tom Hardy, who has the lead role. And I don't know whether you've seen Taboo yet, no, I but no. it is absolutely magnificent, James. It's about a guy who comes back after everyone presumed that he uh, went, uh, he was lost 
presumed dead in Africa, set in the 1800s in that really sort of rough, you know, uh, London dockside area. And he comes back to take up over his father's shipping company. And so it's like a kind of a period costume drama, but really on steroids and very shot, very modern. And it's amazing. Yeah, well, that's good to hear because we've certainly been hearing about Taboo for a long time. The um, BBC sort of telegraph a lot of their stuff a long way in advance and um, it seems like the uh, noise they've been making about Taboo is certainly warranted, yeah? It's taken forever to get here. It's screened in the UK, um, you know, months and months and months ago and BBC First have sort of dropped the ball on this. Uh, they should have had it here a lot faster. But, look, it's it's here now and uh, I've watched the first two episodes and it's absolutely brilliant and I know that they're doing another series. Right, OK, OK. Um, something I think we're both fans of is uh, Joanna Lumley's travel series. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Joanna Lumley. <laughs> Who, and next week she's going to India. Right, right. Yep, yep, yep. I think that'll be that'll be fascinating, won't it? The um, all her stuff's been brilliant. Um, I've watched her. I think Tokyo most recently. Yep. She went down the Nile, didn't she? China. Uh, China. Yep, yep. Um, there was one called just generically called Postcards. I think that might have been highlights from a few different ones. I think she's been to Graceland, hasn't she? To support, yes, she has. Paying some tribute. That was a one-off. Yeah, paying tribute to uh, to Elvis. She did another one called A Search for the Noah's Ark, I think. Uh, well, she's been yeah. to Greece, of course. She did a, a, a Greek um, one as well. So, yeah, look, this Indian one should be fantastic. So I'll certainly be uh, on board for that. So that's Tuesday night on the ABC, and it's three parts. And in particular, one of the movies that I've been screening recently, which has been getting huge crowds week after work, which suggests to me that the word of mouth is quite incredible, is Viceroy's House, which was about the split is, is about the splitting of India in 1947 after the empire decides to hand it back to its people, and the machinations that the British government is uh, doing behind the scenes uh, to split. Uh, India into India and Pakistan and uh, so yeah it's uh, I've I've, I've really been kind of immersed in Indian history screening this movie every month so every week so I can't wait to see Joanna Lumley's uh, version of the country today yeah I think there's a um, the BBC is doing a lot of um, sort of celebrating um, uh, India and with uh, programming um, all through this year in the UK, and so hopefully a lot of that stuff will will get through get through to uh, us at different times of the year. Um, tell us a little bit about Pulse. What's uh, Pulse coming along? Well, this is the new medical drama that the ABC are putting on Thursday nights to replace Janet King, and it stars Claire. Vanderboom, is that her name? Vanderboom, yep, that's her. Yep, so she's playing a kidney, a successful kidney transplant patient who was so impressed by the fact that, you know, an, an organ donation saved her life. She studies to become a doctor and now it's her as a doctor working in a sort of a transplant unit. I know that Andrea Dimitriadis from Dimitri, Janet yeah. King's in there. Yeah. I know that Susie Porter's in there, who I love, so I'll be watching it for her. I've got to say, the promos don't 
overly excite me. Um, and the medical genre in particular isn't one that I watch a lot on TV, but I'm certainly going to give this a go for the first two episodes um, and see how it goes. I'd, I'd like to think that it's going to reinvigorate the medical TV show the way that Dr. Doctor did on Nine last year, which I loved so much. So that's why I'll give Pulse a go. But I don't know, the, the, the promos don't make it look that that exciting to me. But, look, I will watch it over the next couple of days so I can uh, write a review for uh, my top five in Media Week uh, this weekend. Okay. It's also got a uh, former Game of Thrones star in, I think, Owen Teal. Wow. Sort of... Uh Met a grizzly end, as do most characters in uh, Game of Thrones. I think he played Sir Alistair Thorne. I can't, can't remember that exactly. It just reminds me too, look, every time before Game of Thrones starts, I always think I should do a bit of study. I've just got to get across all those characters. I would ideally love to watch episodes from the former season to brush up, but I never really get the time. What, what do you like? Do you, do you need to do that? Well, well, you know me, I've never, I've always, um, I, I'm not the hugest fan of Game of Thrones. I watch it, mm. um, but I can't, I, I can't follow the history of it. I'm not that much into it that I um, can obsessively follow it. It got too complicated for me, episode two. But look, there is always a really great recap special that they make every year. Last year it was called, I think, Game of Thrones, the story so far. And if you look at Showtime <laughs> and go through their schedule, they've made a new one this year. It's, it, that's what it's called, Game of Thrones, the story so far. It'll be on twice this Sunday, 1.30, and it'll also be on 7.15 p.m. It's an hour and 15 minutes, and it will bring you up to date. And TV Week have also helpfully done a catch-up guide in their issue this week with Polduck on the cover. Um, they're uh, reminding you where the show was left off and the important things that uh, need to happen in this season. Well, that's good news. Look, I'll certainly track down that TV week. I've also been helped. I think that Time magazine had a special Game of Thrones section last week, um, and there was just some fantastic photography of the uh, of the main characters. So that was on last week. It's, it's online as well, I think. And then, of course, Entertainment Weekly always does a lot on Game of Thrones every, every year, and they had a brilliant... Um, Game of Thrones sort of preview edition not so long ago, so that's worth tracking down online too if you need to Correct. Look, I'm, I'm glad to hear you have a bit of trouble following it all because I listen to some way some other people talk and I think, oh dear, I'm not paying enough attention, but <laughs> I, I certainly do tend to get a little bit lost in it, um, each series. Yeah, it's, I, I find it really, really complicated and I'm, I'm sure there's super fans out there that read the books and mm. sort of that helps you. You see, that like that really helped with American Gods. I never would have had a clue what was happening on American Gods except for the fact that my partner had read the book. Right. So he was able to say to me what was happening and I think I said to him, would you understand what was going on in this show if you hadn't read the book first? And uh, he sort of lifted an eyebrow to me as if to say, well, maybe not really. It certainly helps if you're a fan of the books, you uh, get a better insight into it. But, yeah, it's a very, very thick, detailed mythology and you certainly need a um, chart to follow all those relationships to figure out what's going on. I just watch it because it looks good um, and as long as there's a few nude bodies around, uh, you know, as long as they go to a brothel every now and then, that's when I really pay attention. And uh, <laughs> but, but I appreciate that it's well mad and that people love the show and, uh, you know, it's uh, but it's not something that I religiously uh, follow every minute of and, and, and am across like that. I watch it because it's such a big event in TV. I feel like I really need to know what's happening.
Sure. But um, look, I've always balked at the Harry Potter books thinking I, I wouldn't be able to get a proper grasp on that. So I'm, I'm really nervous about the thought of uh, attempting the, um, I think there's five books in the Game of Thrones um, series. I think, wow, that could really uh, push me to the limit, I, I think. But um, I would love to have the time to get in and give it a crack. Now, you mentioned just in that chat then that uh, TV Week had a Poldark cover. That, yes. That's a little bit different for them, yeah? It is, and I think we made a big deal of it last year. Last year they put Dr. Blake uh, on their cover, Craig McLaughlin um, and uh, the lovely girl that plays his housekeeper, whose name is escaping me at the moment. But it's very unusual to see TV Week putting a show on that so deliberately is sort of going for the older viewer. And yet, you know, I look at the local news agency here in South West Rocks and I'm in there every Monday morning buying my Sydney Morning Herald for the Green Guide and picking up my copy of TV Week and I look at those little old ladies that are buying TV Week alongside me because it comes out on a Monday Mm. and yet week after week we know that TV Week sort of is the home and away magazine. It's always what's happening in home and away on the cover of TV Week. So when you see something like Dr Blake or as this the case this week, Poldark with the headline Saint or Sinner, you really go, whoa, that's not a regular TV week cover. They've called it a winter drama special and they do also cover Game of Thrones and Pulse. And just to be on the safe side, they do actually put on their cover when Chris Hemsworth ruled Summer Bay. So, you know, they they can't quite leave their uh, home and away obsession. But, you know, it's um, I really think, although they might not like to admit this, that um, the people who buy TV Week, a lot of them probably wouldn't watch Home and Away, although I'm sure that their sales would suggest that uh, a lot of time their Home and Away issues are the best-selling ones of the year. But I, I think they should probably uh, expe- uh, keep doing... Uh, um, look at look at the success of these British dramas on the ABC on a Friday and a Saturday night. The audience is there, and they probably want to read a bit more about those shows in magazines like this. Sure, sure, and I think uh, Nadine Gardner was maybe the um, Nadine Gardner. That's it. Good, thank you. Well in, done. In that, uh, now you mentioned uh, the ABC's uh, crime slots on uh, Friday nights. Could that be where Prime Suspect 1973 might go? Yes, spot on. This is uh, a new telly movie that goes back before the 1980s drama Prime Suspect Suspect when Helen Mirren used to do television more so than movies. And this is uh, looking at uh, Jane Tennyson uh, when she was just a kind of a probationary officer. And, in fact, this telly movie, Prime Suspect 1973, is about uh, the first ever murder investigation that she got involved in. Um, so, look, I'll be checking that out. The, the British critics didn't jump up and down with joy about this. They, they didn't think it was fantastic. In, in fact, I think they, they were kind of a little bit disappointed that, you know, of course, if you're going to do a story about a female cop in the mm. 70s, mm. She is, she's going to be copying a fair bit of sexism at work. Yeah. And, um, you know, they kind of found that, uh, you know, some of them sort of went, really, do we need to see this? But, look, it's a great character and it's, a, it's an interesting idea. I'll certainly be checking it out to see how good it, it really is. And you said telly movie, but I think there's six eps, isn't there, in there? Oh, is it six yeah. eps? I could be yeah. – yeah, you're right. It's only on for um, 50 minutes. It is a yeah, series. Yeah, yes, yeah, spot sure. on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sure there's still a lot of Prime Suspect fans around that will do well for them. Uh, Utopia's back uh, – any day too for the ABC, one of their probably one of their most successful uh, comedies of the last decade. I would have thought. 
Yes, it is. And, you know, it's, it's just really a very simple idea that they basically repeat the same thing every day, don't they? It's about <laughs> the ridiculous, inane, getting nowhere machinations of uh, government departments. But, you know, Rob Sitch um, constantly befuddled and bemused as the boss of this government department and all the idiots around him, including, of course, um, Kitty Flanagan as the... Um, PR person that uh, is all the time making him put his name to the most, you know, stupid things imaginable. Yeah, it's a great show. Working Dog re have really nailed it with this one. Uh, it was a great idea and uh, the audience has been there. This is season three and uh, it replaces Ronnie Cheng, International Student, Wednesday nights at 9pm on the ABC. Yeah, but, um, I sometimes see it as a bit of a metaphor, maybe for life in, in general, though, the um, utopia, you know, not that I'm saying everything's as ridiculous and mundane, but you you do go through a lot of repetitive stuff in life, don't you? And sometimes yes. you get all worked up and excited about certain things that in retrospect, you go, wow, did I really ever care about that that much or, or things like that? So, yeah, it is. Um, there are lots of sides to it. Now, there's some new suits coming as well. Yeah, it actually, I think the new Suits is actually starting this week. I okay. think it's starting Thursday night on Universal, but yep. because they're doing an article uh, about it next week, I might have had my dates confused there, but certainly there's a lot of interest around Suits at the moment. I actually heard on the news last night that Prince Harry could be on the verge of proposing to Meghan Markle, yeah. who I certainly had never heard of before or until... When tabloids started talking about her as being Prince Harry's girlfriend, yeah. um, and then I saw the clips because I've never been a Suits watcher, although many people have said to me they love this show, they're obsessed with this show. So I know that there's a lot of people very excited that it's back. Um, let's just hope that if Meghan Markle does marry into the royal family, that she doesn't retire from acting because she's a very um, beautiful girl and uh, she clearly has a lot of fans in the world and let's hope she doesn't do a great Kelly and go off to a Monaco kingdom and get banned from acting again. <laughs> yeah, I've got a feeling I've seen some headlines like Baby Joy or something like that, you know, about... Uh... <laughs> Quite a while ago, I might say. So the uh, some of the tabloid magazines have certainly been um, maybe ahead of themselves in uh, in some of that news. Yeah, yeah. Look, suits. We did a suits podcast. I think it was late last year, wasn't it? Uh, they came in. We had Jamie Campbell here from Foxtel. So go and dig that out at uh, mediaweek.com.au if you want to um, check up on that. Look, we're nearly out of time, Andrew. Anything else you you want to leave us with uh, this week for our TV podcast? Um Look, my leaving thing, it's a few weeks old now, but I just need to say it to you. The Sunday Telegraph ran an article a few weeks back on a Sunday called uh, 10 TV Series That Need to End Now, in which um, it was an editor's pick, too. He gave it a big tick, and it was a whole bunch of TV shows that writer Amy Harris was basically saying should be culled and taken off air, including... MKR, because if she has to sit through one more minute of Pete Evans and Manu, she will surely expire. <laughs> the Voice, Rich 
Richard Wilkins, the A-list, in which she was uh, pretty nasty to him. Whovians on the ABC, in which she said, why would you pick apart a TV show that hasn't been good since the 80s? I'm sorry, did she actually say that? Did she actually say that Doctor Who hasn't been good since the 80s? I'm sure there's several million people that would disagree there. Mm. She thinks Louis Thoreau makes pointless documentaries and she wants Gogglebox taken off air because she's baffled at its success. Now, I'm sorry, but if you're going to write an article like this in an era where network television audiences are declining, if you're going to ask them to take off their biggest rating TV shows... At the very least, you should give us a bit of an idea on what they should replace them with. <laughs> I just thought this was the stupidest, most pointless article, and it was just nasty to kind of go out there and get really personal about a bunch of people on TV that she doesn't like, and I just thought it was stupid, and to try and, you know, tie it in with Fonzie and jumping the shark, and that's the picture of Henry and skis it. Yeah, yeah. Just don't understand why the Sunday Telegraph have stopped their television page. They're not doing that page anymore. It hasn't been in the paper for the last few weeks, and they're printing rubbish like this. It's it's really sad to think that Australia's biggest newspaper is uh, treating uh, TV so um, treating you know writing about TV like this. It's sad. Yeah, look, uh, I guess opinion, though, opinion always tracks um, newspaper editors, doesn't it? And if that opinion might be controversial, well, they'll think it'll uh, attract a bit of traffic, attract a lot of com- comment, uh, as you have done just now. So I guess that's, yeah. that's why it uh, it lives there. You know, I have noticed that that TV page sort of has been a moving feast for a little while, hasn't it? And it has been a couple of weeks, I think it hasn't appeared at all. It's sort of gone, you know, and I wrote that TV page uh, for a couple of years around uh, 2000 and uh, I want to say 2009 back then. And it's one of the proudest things in my career that I wrote for a a major newspaper like that and did did TV news and TV tips and all that. And that's what I want to read about in that paper. I want a bit of news and I want someone who knows something about TV to tell me what I should be watching in the week ahead. Not someone that seems to have an axe to grind and is just looking to be deliberately controversial like so many other News Limited columnists. It's, it's, uh, it's not where I want that newspaper to be going. Certainly noted that one, Andrew. Look, thank you for that. And just I've uh, just checked on that um, Suits screening date. I think July 13, That uh, I think it's season seven from memory. They've been uh, going for a while. That's when that kicks off. Uh, those episodes be dropping uh, once a week on Universal. Look, let's leave it there. Let's um, try and make a date to do this again in a fortnight. Um, Enjoy the rest of the school holidays up there with your uh, at the Southwest Roxy. Uh, it's a bit wet here in Sydney, so let's let's hope a bit of that wet weather hangs around <laughs> hangs around up there and uh, fills the cinema for you. Thank you, James. Okay, speak to you soon, Andrew. Bye.